Welcome to Infinity War and Beyond, the podcast where we stumble through the MCU by watching one Marvel Studios film each week until we've reached the mega epic blockbuster that is Avengers Infinity War. I'm Billy and I will be your host this week as we look at Guardians of the Galaxy. As always, joining me is my co-host Christoph. Hey Billy, what is going on? Well, we're change of pace, we're recording at your house. Yes, and I have to show you how I live. Which is fairly messy, as you are no doubt picking up. Yes, I but am. you are a grub. Fortunately, I have dealt with the ants, so there's no ants this time. So you've stopped wanking? No, I've just made sure that I haven't left it around because, as established in previous episodes, my uh, jizz is sweet dick honey to these ants. Okay. It seems to attract them. Yeah, I'm a little bit scared recording at your house because of your massive tea collection. <laughs> That is my wife's tea collection. Yeah, I feel like I'm in, you know, on the set of Get Out. <laughs> Wait, on the set or in the film Get in Out? Because I feel like on the set again. In that the film, it's very fun set. No, because look, I'm in the suburbs. Mm-hmm, that's w- true. Wogs are not. Sorry, Europeans, <laughs> Greeks are not usually out in the suburbs like this. Rich suburbs, you know, which you are. You know, you say that, but we've actually got like quite a few, gr- like. What I assume are, are Greek families around. It's very neighbor. much a white picket fence house. It yeah, it feels, is. Look, it's a bit, it's it feels like white. I'm on the set of yeah, I'm on Get Out. So you know, please don't offer me tea and tell me to sink into the floor, please. <laughs> but yeah, um, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, look, I'm doing all right. I was. I heard that you saw Black Panther again. Yes. With your mum. Yes. And dad and brother. Family and, outing. And they saw it voluntarily, is that correct? Yes, they did. My, look, my family, we, my family from, like, a young age, we love, like, from me and my brother being a young age, we love going to the, um, the movies. Like, I mean, the first film I saw at the cinemas, um, was actually at the cinema that I work at, worked the, at, the, the big cinema in Randwick, um, was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Wait, the, wait, the first one. The first one, not the second one, Secret of the Ooze. No, the first one. And that was with my mum and dad. And now, I think my brother, I'm not sure. Side note, was it the first one that had the vanilla ice wrap? Or was that no, second? that was the second okay. one. Okay, clearly they felt like they had to pull out the big guns for the sequel. Ninja, ninja, rap, ninja, ninja, rap. <laughs> Christopher's <laughs> rolling his eyes at me now. Uh, <laughs> um, I find that boggling that your parents... like the. the yeah, I, I mean, they love blockbuster films. It's and amazing. Stuff like, that. like, I mean, with, I've, I can count off my hand like a lot of films that I've seen with them, the film is... All the, um, most of the Back to the Future films. Yep. Um, I'm pretty sure the first one we saw was, like, at the cinemas, it was probably the third one, because uh, the other one I took, saw on video with them. Uh, the Shadow, I remember going with my dad. <laughs> See, I used to go watch a lot of, like, like comic sort fil- of. Yeah, comic films with my dad. Okay. Um. It's nice. Yeah, um, the Mummy series, like the Brendan oh, Fraser Wow. One. We used to, yeah, we went and watched that at the cinema. There's like a lot of like blockbuster films you, you watch. You know what they say: the family that phrases together stays years together. Yes. That was that was a lot clunky. It worked in my head. A lot of things don't <laughs> and do work in your head. Um, but no, like yeah, I mean, I remember like for a long period, like we used to like every year we'd go away down the coast, and like we'd go watch a movie, and that was during the period when um. Lord of the Rings films were coming out every year. Oh, so like sort of early to early two thousands. Yeah, like so all the we saw like all the Lord of the Rings films. Um, yeah, and that was even my grandparents being 
clicking along as well. That, so, yeah. That's ridiculous to me. I yeah. The funniest thing, though, is I have no idea where my love of horror came along from because my parents don't like horror, nor my brother as well. They so, I have no idea where the, 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 where the love of came horror came, came from. Maybe See, watching uh, Michael Jackson's uh, Thriller video clip at a young age. I found, I think when I first saw that, I found it scary. Yeah, we had the making of on video. I think I still have it somewhere as well. It's the best. Because the person involved in that was... Um, it wasn't... Oh, who's the guy who does a whole bunch of... Yeah, like he did American Werewolf in Paris. Okay. Yeah. Well, no, London, I think. London. Okay, so he's probably a fairly well-known um, special effects guy. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of the name of it. I think Not it's... James Gandolfini? No. James Gandolfini is... Did I make that name up? Or is no, that that's, that's Tony Soprano. Oh my goodness! What's going on? Yeah. Let's go. Okay, there was another guy who, um, who's quite a well-known, like, special effects guy known for, like, good gore and stuff. John Landis, that's... Ah! Oh! Yeah. oh! Father of... Father of beloved screenwriter Max Landis. Who? Who? Do you... Do you actually... Do you actually not know who Max Landis is? Yeah, Landis? I do. I, do. Oh, I was really jealous... I was really jealous of the... I try... I try him. not to, and sometimes do know who Max Landis is. Yeah, er- look, everyone would prefer to live in a world where we didn't have to know who Max Landis was. I don't know, it's like, I feel like there's some things that he said that kind of put in regards to film, but then other times it's like, yeah, he, I feel like he's one of those people who will, who will sort of spend, who would like spend 20 minutes telling you how like amazing and clever he is. Yeah, he but just, it seems like a douche. And also one of the people that like, you know, will say something cool, but then, and like you think they've, um, sort of reprieve themselves but then, then they say something yeah okay you're just digging yourself another hole he said a, some really like stupid stuff about women he's a uh, I remember there was an interview that came out and a lot of people were like yeah not it's impressed with the stuff he said pretty, yeah because I'm pretty sure his dad is not like that yeah I'm not sure I can't confirm that anyway but the reason I bring up the fact that your parents like see movies to me that's like uh, I can't comprehend a world in which a parent, my parents would voluntarily see a film with me. Really? Yeah. My, what was the last time they saw a film with you? You know what? Okay, I should, I should, I should differentiate. My parents are divorced, so my dad is a bit more open. He saw Scott Pilgrim with me and hated it. Okay. Um, but I mean, yeah, my, my dad, mum would probably have hated like, it. Like, yeah, parents aren't going to get it. I, that, yeah. That's fair. But my, my, I mean, some of my friends didn't get it. But anyway. My mum and my stepdad are very conservative. As a teenager, my like Chris- tastes in Christian rock were too edgy for them. Jesus is still alright with me. <laughs> Jesus is still alright with me. Wait, who's that by? Me. I know it's like a, an actual song. Yeah, I know. It used to be like these three dudes. And it used to be... Because sh- I used to watch a lot of late night TV. Because mm-hmm. that's when on late, late, uh, sorry, late night commercial TV in Australia is when they used to show... Star Trek at like you know 11 o'clock mm. at night and a lot of the commercials were for um exercise videos uh do you want to talk to a sexy lady or a sexy man call me now um or exercise Danos Direct mm. um, like the and then stuff. you know biblical stuff as well <laughs> but yeah like there was this there was this That's... group of um, musicians, I can't remember the name of them, but they, 
Yeah, they're were they Australians or are they American? It was like, American. Like, it was like know who they were. So yeah, no, I just remember the film clip and it was Jesus is still alright with me. Thanks for Jesus checking in, just in case we weren't sure how they felt about Jesus. Yeah, I can't remember the name of them. I mean, I thought you would because you know what? I'm I'm pretty good with my Christian rock. I'm from... DC Talk. Oh yeah, I know G- DC Talk. If you said See? Jesus, if you said Jesus freak, I would have been all over that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. No, you know what? I haven't seen D. This is uh, this is a part of myself I'd like to keep off mic, but I haven't seen DC Talk live. But I've seen a band, another big Christian band called the Newsboys live, and at this point, their lead singer, their original lead singer, had left, and the, one of the singers from DC Talk, Michael Tate, was the lead singer. So I've seen one of the members. Can you imagine if someone made a podcast called DC Talk, and they just dis- people just assumed it was about the DC universe, and it's like no. <laughs> Oh, I thought you were going to say DC talk dirty to me. And <laughs> it's like a weird Christian erotic podcast. Oh, I mean... Yeah, there's been some Christian erotic podcasts. I'm sure there is something. What is it? The rule? What is it? Rule, rule 34. Rule 34. Mm. If there is something, there is something. And then there is a, a porn version of it. Yeah. I, look, I guess at some point we should probably talk about Marvel films. I guess. Go on, I'm just picturing the... Version of the crucifixion. <laughs> really, that's that's the, you go to like the most extreme example. Jesus being nailed to the cross, but not nails. Oh no, no! Like when you said Jesus nailed to the cross and porn, I, you know, Billy, I figured out where you were going with that's, it. Well, I don't know. Sometimes I have to lay it out thick for you. Anyway... We're just talking about porn, you said laid it out thick, so yes. my mind just ran. Um, on to Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, this week's film. Yes. So, um, what, what did you think of it, Rewatching it? Ah. Uh, oh, that's not a good... Uh. You know what, I, I don't know if I've said this explicitly, but I think a common theme that's come through this podcast, at least for me, some I've noticed sometimes for you, although you've maintained your enthusiasm, true mm. to form, no, no. Um, is that a lot of these films feel like they have diminishing returns. Well, yeah, also, I feel like I feel like it um, It depends on the mood when you're watching it. Like, mm. I feel like... Um, uh, not that we've been rushing, but I feel like... You know, usually when you watch something, you'd be, like, chilled and relaxed. But I think just because it's the beginning of the year, everyone is super busy in January and February. And doing, like, Marvel, you should have done it at the end of the year. Yeah. Infinity War. But no, no, no. I feel like, yeah, just be, like, maybe beats because we've been watching it in a busy time, January, February, March. And it's... the fact that we've, we're on a schedule, we've got to, you know, watch one to two of these films a week. Yeah. Um, but no, look, I still enjoyed it. I was, like, there's still a place in my heart for going into the galaxy. Like, I feel like it was a refresher from the rest of uh, Phase 2. You know what? I sort of found the opposite, where I think I noticed more watching it. I noticed that although it, it definitely does have its own personality, and I think it established... On another podcast I was listening to, um, someone mentioned that like Guardians of the Galaxy really sort of opened up the door and sort of helped Marvel figure out its sense of humour. Yeah. Um, so I think coming back to this film, instead of noticing the sense of humour stuff, which is very sort of stock standard in a lot of the Marvel films now, they definitely aren't afraid to pursue comedy a bit more. I noticed how this is just... felt like a... It's sort of the similarities in structure um, and, of course, the villain problems. Just, to me, it just seemed like another, another Marvel no, film. No, look, I felt like it was... Uh... 
a better version of Avengers than Avengers 2 was. Yeah, fair call. Um, I mean, it does have that whole, like, you know, it does have the sort of similar beats to Avengers where it's like, I mean, the first Avengers film. Yeah. About how, like, you know, they fight and everything and then they come together. Yes. But I think, I don't know about you, but I think that's just, like, common book 101 is they fight, they find their similarities, they defeat common enemy. And I think with me, like, see, I grew up on uh, reading the X-Men and, like, the X-Men has all the freaky shit. Like, there's the mutants, but then they, the, like, the X-Men has been, like, you know, in space, sci-fi and everything. And I love the quirky sci-fi stuff of the Marvel Universe. There's the cosmic stuff. Yeah, the cosmic stuff. So I feel like reading the, um, the series that this movie is based on, slightly, um, made me enjoy and appreciate this film more. We're talking about, um... Uh, the two so like Guardians of the Galaxy, the two thousand and eight series, which was started off from a spin off from Annihilation Conquest. Is, that's Dan Abnett, right? Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning. That's Lanning? right. Lanning. Lanning. Yeah, Lanning. And yeah. I know that they're sort of held up as the run. Yeah. Like well they they sort of reinvigorized the cosmic part of the Marvel Universe because for a long time it was that was sort of left to the side and was mainly just mm. like Earth stuff. Especially given that I feel like a lot of the... I could be wrong, so please correct me if I am, but I feel like a lot of the cosmic stuff was uh, with Jack Kirby, Kirby's contribution, and given that I feel like oh, yeah. only really Kirby can pull off Kirby, it's easy to see how some of the stuff would seem messy or unpalatable and convoluted in the hands of someone who didn't have a clear vision for it. Yeah, look, I feel like trying to recreate Kirby um, is a bad thing. Well, you can't, because no, he's, no, like, he's can't. fucking Jack Kirby. Like, you can be influenced by it, but I feel like you're even doing a homage is not the greatest. Like, you know, you have the basic skeleton of mm. the stuff that the previous people at Marvel have set up, or even DC as well. But then do it your own. And that, like, makes a more successful story. And I think such a cautionary tale of people trying to do Jack Kirby and fucking it up comes oh, to yeah. mind. The, um, the Rick Remender, when he, when he... Did you read his run on Cap? He did a uh, Castaway in Dimension Z. Okay, we... Um, we might have mentioned it on the show before. Yeah, but you didn't like it, I did. Ah, oh, But okay. see, the, I like Remenda. A lot of Remenda stuff, you're not a bigger fan. Bigger well, I just thought it was Remenda. like, why the fuck would you take Cap out of our world? Cap, to me, is best when he's in our world dealing with complicated real-world issues with his sort of black know, and white moral fibre. But one of his villains is Armin Zola, and Armin Zola is very out of Cap's world yeah, as well. I guess. Should we go to the trailer and then discuss the movie further? Yeah, let's do it. Legendary Outlaw? Forget it. We arrested these five on Xandar. Check out the rap sheets. Drax, a.k.a. the Destroyer. Since his wife and family were killed, he's been on a rampage across the galaxy in his search for vengeance. Gamora, soldier, assassin, wanted on over a dozen counts of murder. 
Rocket, wanted on over 50 charges of vehicular theft and escape from lockup. What the hell? Groot, has been traveling recently as Rocket's personal houseplant slash muscle. Peter Jason Quill. He's also known as Star-Lord. Who calls him that? Himself, mostly. He's wanted largely on charges of minor assault, public intoxication, and fraud. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't know how this machine worked. Hey, hey, hey! That's mine! You son of a bitch! Hey! Take those headphones off right now! They call themselves the Guardians of the Galaxy. What a bunch of a-holes. Guardians of the Galaxy was released August 1st, 2014. Um, it had a budget of $232 million. Um, its box office return was a whopping $773 million. Comparing that to the other teen film in the Marvel Universe, sorry, teen, not teen, um, Avengers, like at the time, Avengers had a $220 million box office. Uh, sorry, uh, budget and mm -hmm. had a box office of one point five billion. Billion. Okay, so, so maybe about half of what Avengers. Yeah, maybe. but I feel like that was, was sort of the unknown, and people were wary because like there's all these characters that you don't know. Well, but it was pretty good for a film that like they were worried about. I was about to say because in comparison, we've seen all like these characters all had at least one, and in the case of Iron Man, two films before Avengers came out. Yeah. Whereas, um, whereas I feel like this was a good success for a film which. No one knows the characters. And it had no connection to the rest of the Marvel Universe. It was really. just going Apart on... Apart from the Infinity Stone. I feel like it was just going on star power for this film. I don't... Okay, I don't agree with you on that. Because remember, Chris Pratt, before this, his most notable role was Andy Dwyer and Parks and Rec. And everyone was like, wait, what? But that's the thing. Parks and Rec is such a... Like, I have not seen it as much as everyone else. But apparently it's... An amazing series that it's very good, likes. but my but his role was so different. He's like a goofy, yeah. he's a goofy tubby guy. So he hadn't had the chops to like he hadn't sort of got his action hero chops. Because remember, mm. at this point, he he's got one this Jurassic Park film, film in the bag, two Guardians films. Uh, he's did that space one with um where he's like yeah in that spaceship about, yeah, let's not talk about but my film. point is at this point he's yeah. an he's established action is, talent he wasn't when this film came this out this is his kiss kiss fang bang like right yes yeah yeah good, that's a good I feel like it's a very good comparison um but yeah um the movie was directed by uh James Gunn um who we know he's screenwriter James for a few Gunn screenwriter for a few films Tromeo and Juliet uh Scooby Doo Scooby Doo 2 uh, Dawn of the Dead, the remake, um, and he's the director of Slither. Uh, Super as well. Super, and also PG Porn. That's right. I'm I'm aware of his work. I think I've seen one of the PG Porn I clips. think it's funny. 
PNG porn. Yeah, but I it do is too. that it's that awkward funny. But I wouldn't watch it and be like, give this man Guardians of the Galaxy. I've seen Super once. I enjoyed it for what it was, but it is full on and a bit bleak. I so the first time I saw Super, I loved it, thought it was genius, bought it on DVD, watched it again, thought it was crap. It's like the hardcore version of Kick Ass. But it's like I don't really know what it's trying to say. I feel like at least with yeah. Kick-Ass, there's like a, a viewpoint It feels fresh. With Super... It felt bleak. Yeah. I like, I honestly can't even remember it, but I think I enjoyed it at the time. I've got it somewhere. Um, I'm also... I want to make it very clear, and if James Gunn, if you are listening, I have not and will never forgive you for Scooby-Doo. Hey, who no, no, the Scooby-Doo films. Who the fuck was that movie for? I saw it as a kid. It scared the shit out of me. Okay, he... He wrote like, it. He didn't direct it. Okay. You don't blame the screenwriter. Mm. You know, but from Do a not, writing perspective, me, the movie Buffy is in that film. Do not knock it. I will put my foot down. <laughs> Look, I... Maybe, maybe my problem with Scooby-Doo was the fact I saw it as a kid, it scared me. And so my question is, who was Scooby-Doo for? It was too scary for kids... And, like, it's Scooby-Doo, so adults are really going to be watching Scooby-Doo. How, how old were you when you saw it? Scooby-Doo. Oh, the Scooby-Doo um, film. Like, early 20s? Late yeah, teens? Yeah. But I grew up with Scooby-Doo. Yeah, but I did, I did too. Yeah. But the cartoon didn't freak, like, scare the shit out of me with weird well, this, purple demon things. This didn't scare me either. So. Well, I was a kid. So maybe that, look, I, maybe, uh, maybe I was just, like, a wimpy kid. Harden up, buttercup. <laughs> Um, so, look, it was written by James Gunn and also Nicole Perlman, who has come through the, um, I'm not sure what it's called, it's like a sort of writing school for, like, Marvel? Oh. I think there's some sort of, like... Like, the comics or the films? Films, like a screenwriting school or something. But she's written a lot of, um, scripts for films. So she's written, uh, the script for First Man, which I've not seen, um, the original draft for Captain Marvel film. Now... That her script was sort of, I'm pretty sure, replaced with um, a script by Geneva Robertson Dorset, uh, Dora, because um, Nicole Perlman's writing partner for the film, uh, Meg Lafove, uh, went to write and co-direct Disney's Gigantic, which has since been cancelled um, and will probably never be made. The name which I don't familiar. understand why. It was like um, it was like a reverse. I think Jack and the Beanstalk or something or yeah something like that um, she's also written the script for Detective Pikachu which I'm finding hilarious apparently it's uh, yeah I still know nothing about Detective so, Pikachu like, she's written uh, she's, why is that a movie yeah she's also I think written scripts for films that don't have a release status yet which include Black Widow mm-hmm. uh, Mask sorry Mask uh, which is uh, is that movie... related to the the Mask franchise? No, it's related to the um, Hasbro universe. So there was oh. the m- 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 Mask. You don't remember it? Uh, there was a cartoon series where like there were the heroes that had masks like lowered. It was part of their cars. And there was villains as well. Okay, I I do not remember. Um, the Rom movie, like Rom the Space Knight, which okay. is also part of the Hasbro universe. Uh, Sherlock Holmes three. And also Visionaries, Knights of the Magical Light. Is that just part of Hasbro? Yeah, okay. These are all cartoons I grew up on. Uh, do, you, do you think we need a Hasbro cinematic universe? Well, they were trying. because Yeah, the two G.A. Joe movies were not 
good with my... The second one was better than the first one. The second one was better? Much better. Um, but, like, I think the second one, it was basically like the comic books. Like, it accepted its root, road, like, roots. And it's like, we're not trying to be serious and, like, crazy like the first film. Um, yeah, no, look, I mean... And I think they were trying to link it up, like, the G.I. Joe universe with Mask, um, Rom and all that, but I don't know if that's happening. I still don't know if that's... Actually, I know what's happening with the G.I. Joe and Transformers in the comic universe. I don't know about the rest. I think they're still trying to come together, but also split apart a bit. Well, they don't want some of these other crappy movies, I guess, to maybe tank or damage the Transformers brand, which seems to Oh my god, it's well. amazing, isn't it? That Transformers uh, brand. They, look, the films clean up in China. Yeah. The Chinese market seems to really want Transformers films, so... So, the film was mostly well-received. It got, like, a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. I remember there was a weird... People were nervous about it, and then everyone thought it was the best thing. Yeah. Um, and so, look, as we mentioned, it's based off... So, there's two types of Guardians of the Galaxy. There's the Guardians of the Galaxy, which was created in 1969 by Stan... <laughs> nice. Arnold Drake, and an initial concept, concept by Roy Thomas. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was the current series... Um, made in 2008 by Dan Abner and Andy Lanning and that was spun out of the Annihilation uh, cosmic universe part of the Marvel Universe like there were these Annihilation series like there was one in there was Annihilation and then Annihilation Conquest and then a third one as well um, but yeah so yeah no look I, I, and, I mean the, that group of Guardians of the Galaxy had um Pretty much everyone that's in this cast. Okay, I thought they had, like, Adam Warlock as well, maybe, in that comic. Yeah, near the end of it. Which, which of course, he's teased at the end of the second Guardians movie. Yes. Um, can we talk about James Gunn a bit? Yes. What's it, what, what do you... How do you, feel like, about, how do you feel about James Gunn? I like James Gunn for the most part, but I feel like he's that crazy genius that you need to have... Genius is a strong word. Okay, let me finish. Okay, alright, I'll take crazy, though. Uh, like this crazy genius that you need to have a producer like someone to rein in like you're the producer is usually someone that reigns in people yeah I feel like the producing was on this not on Guardians of the Galaxy 2 yeah I mean my my feeling was that I think the fact that he had a co-writer on this mm-hmm. and because this is a new movie my guess is that you know there were I don't know if he was on a short leash per se but I think he, there, he definitely didn't you know there would have been checks and balances um, with what he did I think this is a strong movie because of that, because this very much feels like James Gunn on a leash. It's got some of that humour, mm-hmm. but it never goes too far. Guardians of the Galaxy 2, it just feels like he he needs to sort of bring it back a couple of steps. Okay. Um, I find James Gunn very hit and miss. I also kind of find it annoying that he has to put uh, Michael Rooker in everything. Michael Rooker? The guy who plays y- Yondu. Oh, oh, okay. And I just find Yondu the stupidest character, and I, I wish he wasn't in these films. And the yeah. second one, the second one really it's pissed me Yondu. off how they tried to like make him a big deal. The way he, t- like, he's got like a southern Boar. accent in space. Yeah. Boar. The whistling like thing is annoying. I just okay. don't. Well, I just I don't mean, like the character. Well, I mean, the character like in the comics. Is he, he so he's a comics character. Yeah, like he would shoot a bow and arrow and have limited control over it. So. Ah, oh, so that's why they've done the. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I just really dislike the movie version of Yondu, and okay. I'm, I'm glad that in the third one he won't be in it. And I hope that the Ravagers play a smaller part because I just think they're not. 
I think they're just for comic relief and I find them utterly uninteresting. There okay. I said it. But look, long story short, James Gunn's very hit and miss. This was a hit for him. Okay. Um, what do you want to talk about? Um, do we want to jump into pickups? Sure. Um, so Guardians of the Galaxy is set like um, so it starts off with a flashback. Okay, uh, before showing... sorry, let me just quickly explain to our audience what pickups is in case we've got some new listeners. Yeah, no worries. Um so pickups is when we talk about things we've picked up in the film. We cherry pick parts of the film. Yeah, sometimes it's Easter eggs, sometimes it's things we specifically noticed on this latest rewatch. So mm-hmm. a lot of them are insights that come from having seen these movies more than one time. Yeah. Sorry, Billy, I'll let you get back to that no, opening sorry. scene. So yeah, look I mean it was the film has a flashback to um Star Lord's youth. Well, is it a flashback? Because that's where we start the film. I would say the rest of the film is a flash forward, Billy. Not to get pedantic. I feel like you might punch me in the face. Okay, yeah, but we start in the past. Yes. Um, it's alright. My silence is just showing disappointed in you. Um, yeah, look, I mean, yeah, we start in the past, which is um, showing um, Star-Lord um, at his mother's side. His mother's like obviously got like cancer or something. Mm. Um, and she dies before he could like you know say like a proper goodbye proper goodbye and he runs away and then gets picked up obviously looks like a UFO Mm. um and then it goes to like the current like um it's set like in 2014 I think 26 it says 26 years later which is 2014 yeah um now so that sets Guardians of the Galaxy timeline wise. That sets it like, like it's after Captain America: Winter Soldier and before Avengers: Age of Ultron. Okay. Um, yeah, that makes sense. And a, apparently, a Avengers: Infinity War is set like two to three years after um, Age of Ultron. Okay. And so Guardians of the Galaxy two, timeline wise, is set like I think a month or two months after the first film. Yeah, okay. No, Guardians 2 definitely feels like... uh, Yeah, it happens pretty quick after the first one. Um, Yeah, no, look, I mean... So, yeah, we start off where... um, I'm trying to remember, is it... We start off with him stealing something first? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Or is it more... No, so it's him on Morag, I think, the leader of the planet. uh, And he steals the... uh, The MacGuffin, which, of course, later on we find out is the Infinity Stone about halfway through the film. Yes. Um, And he tackles one of our first head underlings. Yeah, whose name I've forgotten, but to be honest, he was about as charismatic charismatic uh, as the villain in this film. Like, the, the, the all up the villains were pretty shit. Leave Ronan the Accuser alone. He's not a... He's only just better than um, than Christopher Eccleston's character in Thor The Dark World. Yeah, so I mean, the, the henchman that we meet is Korath, played by Jimon Hornsu. Mm-hmm. Um, he's played a few roles. Like I don't. His face looks familiar. I've seen. Yeah, yeah. Like, I I've feel seen like him in a few around. starring roles, but he does have a lot of like sort of like, supporting actor roles. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. Look. I mean. Yeah, he's not. He's meant to be. Uh, that's the other thing that wasn't made clear. Like he's meant to be the. He's meant to be a Cree, I think. Yeah. That that something that definitely. Uh, Confuse me as a fact that Ronan is a, a Cree purist, yet all of his henchmen are not Cree. Yeah, which well, seemed I don't know, to maybe, be odd. Maybe it was Thanos that made him take. I know Thanos made him give, made him use his daughters, which is um, 
mildly creepy. Yes, as his henchmen. But um, yeah, what, what what did you think about the opening scenes? Yeah, so I think those two scenes are probably the most important of the movie. The first one with the mum grounds the film emotionally. Yeah, I mean, because that's the biggest thing about a film in 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 space, and when you're dealing with uh, things that setting wise are far apart from our Earth, mm-hmm. you have to ground them emotionally. And I think that scene does. Okay. I think it also adds a good hook to Star-Lord's character, which is the fact that he has this connection to Earth, that he's living. Even though, obviously, he fits in in space, he's sort of a fish out of water. Yeah, like, he's connected to Earth by whatever he had on him and his memories as a child. Yeah. He hasn't... He is essentially a big kid. And they set up... Of course, they set up the uh, the soundtrack, the, the tape deck and the soundtrack mechanic, which is a huge part of this film. And at this point, I loved... I loved a lot of the music in this film. It was... Perfectly used at the right time. Do we want to maybe come back to that a little bit later? Because yeah. that's like a huge thing to bite off. And then the yeah. second scene, and I guess this plays into the music again, is I feel like that second scene where he's on Morag and he, he gets the ball, is it sort of, they set up two different tones. Initially when he's on Morag, it's very serious. It feels like a really sort of serious sci-fi movie. And then that minute he clicks on the song and Red Bones, Come and Get Your Love, starts playing. Mm-hmm. It takes a complete tonal shift, as if it's setting up your expectations and saying, no, like, fuck this. You think it's going to be this movie, this serious space movie? It's actually this goofy movie where Chris Pratt's dancing in space to songs from the 70s. And then, you know, he flies away in his ship, the Milano, which is... Is that that another... Is that a comic thing? Uh, Siri wants to talk about Chris Pratt. Okay. Siri has this decided to chime in. There we go. All right. Yeah. Quiet Siri. Um, no, yeah, so it's um, the Milano is based off his childhood crush, uh, which was Alyssa Milano, who at the time, when he was a kid, would have been um, in the TV show Who's the Boss. Oh, wow. Is that is that a, is that a movie-specific thing? It feels like a movie-specific thing. What do you mean? Like... Like is is that in the was that in the comics before or is that an idea? Oh James yeah, Gunn? no, it's an idea of James Gunn. Like, yeah, I, mean, which like I, very... I feel I feel like it's a kind of a cool thing because I mean you know he's but a it grounds the world again, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, he, he you know he's based his ship off his childhood crush, Ellis Milano. Mm. And again, I think he does it. James Gunn does do a great job of putting in those little sort of lo- like the pop culture references that uh, Star Lord makes throughout the film. He's very good at subtly the, yeah, reminding you feel, that he's human. Because I've talked about this with. Um, uh, uh, on the other podcast I do oh, with Stu. The other podcast. It, yes, when we, talk, <laughs> when we review films, like, and I talk about this with other films, like, when you when you review a film, like, based on the past, it's like, you know, set in the 80s, set in the 70s, you can get some films which are, like, way too 70s, or, mm. like, overpoweringly, like, yeah. to the point it's like, oh, wow. Like Stranger and, Things. No, okay, Stranger Things does a fine line, but occasionally it feels like they're beating you over a stick no, with 80s no, written they're, on it. No, they're not. You just hate things. <laughs> um, but look, if you do it properly, it's like you don't have to be super strict and like, no, this has to be because it was set in the 80s. Mm. Like, I feel like he does this with pop culture. He's very, like, chill about some of the stuff he does and it flows well. It's very fluid, yeah. Yeah. Okay, what's... Uh, what do you want to pick up on next? Yeah, well, do we want to um, maybe... I'd love to talk about the characters a little bit, just yeah, in sure. terms of something I noticed in this watch is... Which character do you want to discuss? Well, just... Cause it, so, as an ensemble film, I guess, I want to sort of discuss 
maybe functionally the mm-hmm. characters a little bit because I felt like something became very clear on this rewatch wizard that none of these characters are interesting enough or deep enough to sustain their own films uh, they very much sort of have one or two notes they play on Star-Lord and um, and oh God, uh, Gamora I think have a little bit more depth to them no look I'll, but... I'll agree because I mean to some extent because in the comics a lot of them have miniseries they don't have an actual ongoing I mean, um, Star-Lord... No, not actually... No, Star-Lord's Rocket wasn't Rocket Raccoon does, but I feel like that's to the success of the creative team on it. Um, mm. The artist and the writer. It feels like an adult kid's book. Is just that, that, that the, talking about the Scotty Young, yeah. young run? Yeah. But, but like Young has such a good ability to sort of bring that childish fun to everything he... Yeah, he does. Whether like it's a, actually for children or yeah, not. Yeah, and I think that that's a Rocket Raccoon and also like a slight Groot series. Yeah, because I mean, Groot is. The thing about Groot is he. He's, he's really, also he's a like, child, a large child. Of course. But I guess functionally as a character, he can do two things. He is comedy, because it always mm-hmm. says I am Groot, and also he's the muscle. Yeah. So in this film, you notice, especially near the end, basically Groot is whatever you need him to be. In terms of like, oh, suddenly he's able to extend his branches and kill ten guys at a time? Cool, no worries. The one thing I noticed different to the Avengers... Um, Is it group, in space? Yes. But also, like, all of these characters, individually, they're all broken. Yes. Yeah, that's definitely a big theme of Guardians So, like, the them coming together is a good thing. Like, by the end of it, you see, like, they're all family. They rely on each other. Which is a good thing. It's almost like this film is a kind of therapy for them. Yeah. Interesting. I think... Look, I think in that way, the Guardians of the Galaxy are definitely like uh, Marvel's Doom Patrol in terms yes. of the idea of dysfunctional characters that that are able to become that more, more functional. Together. Yeah, as a team. Um, yeah, and look, I, I agree with you on the dysfunctional thing. I think that's a big part of the charm of, of the film. Like, I remember in the trailer they had the bit about the guy saying, the Nova Corps guy saying, what a bunch of assholes. So they yeah. sort of tried to make it clear that these characters are underdogs mm. and that no one in the in the universe expects much of them, which like mirrors how fans you, who didn't... If Marvel fans felt. You could see them hanging out with Deadpool. Could you? I don't know. A I, little bit. I feel something. like they're maybe not that fourth wall-y. Maybe Rocket, not. maybe. Yeah, maybe. Um, but yeah, I, I think on this watch, the fact that they're sort of... Like, uh, like Drax is one-dimensional in this film. And mm-hmm. as he is in the second one. I mean, I, I don't know if there's much more to him than angry guy who's not super smart. Mm. Um, uh, Rocket has a little bit more to him, but his character's definitely more explored in the second film. This, I, I, you know, Star-Lord maybe has two or three notes to him, as does Gamora, but apart Star-Lord from that... Star-Lord feels like a combination of, like, Han Solo and, like, Marty McFly. Okay, what like what's the Marty McFly the sort of childish impulsiveness of it? Yes. Okay. Yeah, and I guess the hand solo is he is sort of the uh, like the uh, the selfish smuggler. Mm. And that's something I noticed on this watch as well as the fact that writing this film it would have been tricky to figure out how do we make it clear these characters don't want to be together whilst making the plot while making it a necessity that they are. Well, I mean, that whole, like, like the money stuff. thing. Yeah. Money stuff, and then the prison. 
Yeah, the prison uh, worked really well, and I'd be keen to break that down with you in a tick. But yeah. and the money stuff, how they can't like always making agreements and talking about I mean, like, that was why they're together. That was required, but it felt clunky. But I mean, like, what can you do? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, then let's touch on the prisons. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So, what did you think? What did you think of it? I, I enjoyed most of it. Uh, the prison scene. Yeah. What didn't you? What didn't you enjoy? I think. I don't know, but the, I think this is like uh, just the treatment of Gamora in general. But I get it. Like she's meant to be Thanos's, you know. Daughter. Like a daughter. Yeah, people don't uh, like her. Even though, like, no one realizes that, like, you know, they're not. You know, they don't really want to be his kids unless they're, like, crazy. Um, but, yeah, just her treatment in the prison a little bit. But I get yeah. it. It's, like, in a prison full of, like, fuckwits. Like, and it's... Just, I don't know. That and also there's a bit at the end where uh, she gets called a whore by yeah, Drax. Yeah. Like that, like, that and just some of the treatment of her is a little bit grating but I'm like I'm I'm fine with the prison thing because it suits it the end part not so much do you think part of it is because I mean like Marvel tradition like in the films we've seen up to this point I'd say with the with the standout exception of Captain America 2 they don't treat their female characters very well no but I do feel like uh, Gamora has been treated better in the second one yeah, uh, even, even in the first one, a better female mm. character than Black Widow has. Yeah. Comparing Black Widow to her first intro. I completely agree. Yeah, and even Avengers 1. Like, Black Widow has only gotten better... I, I mean, we'll touch on this in our Avengers episode, but I feel like Black Widow's best film so far out of all the films we've watched is uh, Winter Soldier. I completely agree. I think the Russo brothers... Have got, did... been able to tap... What, how Black Widow is. You know the stupid thing, and this thing annoys me, is that the reason that the Russo, Russo brothers' uh, depiction of, of Black Widow, I was about to say Black Panther, works so well is because they treat her like a character and they talk about her traits and they don't automatically assign her the trait of female. Whereas yeah. Joss Whedon, in my opinion, had this obsession with every female character he writes, he has to constantly remind you that they're female and the fact that they're female really plays into damaged and leads to yeah. Whereas like the Russo brothers are sort of like, well, who's Black Widow? She's a spy. Yeah. She's got a dark past. Yeah. Um, and she's morally flexible, yeah. and they contrast that with Cap. The fact that she's a woman isn't really a big part of it. It's but, more important that she's yeah. a spy. But we'll talk about that yeah, more. Sorry, in no, 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 no. That's fine. But um, I, but yeah, no. I feel like Gamora is treated better. The first female character is treated like decent. In the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, any sort of standout moments for you in this prison scene? There are a couple that that jump to my mind. But you go first. All right. Uh, I like that even on the rewatch, I'd forgotten some of the details, so you don't know how this scene is going to go. Like, how are they going to get out of this space prison? Yeah. And I love how not only does it, the escape feel 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 clever, and I think it, you know clearly make, makes it clear that Rocket is a value to the team. It doesn't feel like they're just throwing in jargon. Yeah. All the logic adds up. They they establish everything. They establish like the the drones yeah, and like the, the way the prison works, and that it's in space, the, and then they play with those rules. Yeah, the escape almost feels like a like a montage when they're doing the like um, theft 
in a in a um, like a heist film in a heist film, which is kind of cool. Yes, no, I think that yeah, that's a, actually a really good comparison. And of course, there was that uh, joke where Rocket gets um gets Star Lord to steal the guy's leg. Mm. How did you feel about that joke? Not as funny as it used to be. I remember it being funny. Um, the like the punchline of it was it was funny, but not as funny as it used to be. Yeah, I remember people like thought that was the funniest thing ever, and it got a lot of memes. Yeah, you know, people really jumped on it. On a, and on a rewatch, it just I sort of felt like really that joke made it in. Like mm. it's kind of having a go at like the like. I, oh, I don't think it's like no. Out. I think it's just Rocket being psycho. Yeah, you know what? To me, that very much felt like James Gunn writing a James Gunn joke. Yeah. Okay. Um, no, look, I mean, I think everything you've touched on, I really enjoyed in it. The whole, um, like, finding out how Drax talks and thinks is kind of funny. Like, the whole, like, slicing across his throat thing. Yeah. Yes. You know, no, okay, in this film it works. I think I just got tired of it in the second film, and that's yeah. what's leaking into this one. Um, no, look, I really enjoyed the prison scene. It's one of my... F- the prison arc sort of is one of my favourite arcs of the film. Yeah, no, I, I think it's hard to understate how important that scene is to this film because mm. uh, it sort of, it remind, it shows us what each of these characters can do It and also the fact that in what other Marvel film is a huge plot point going to be that the characters are in jail? Yeah. You know, and it made it clear that these guys are underdogs and they're criminals. Yeah. The and world I mean, is not s- rooting for them. Yeah, and you slowly find out more about each character mm. as well. All right. So, in regards to the villains, I mean, we've got we've got Drax the dis- uh, not Drax. Sorry, I'm we've Ronan. got Ronan the Accuser. Yep. I'm um, Nebula. We've got Nebula, who is Do- Thanos's adopted daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got the oh, I've forgotten what his name is now. Uh, we were just mentioned the him. lead henchman of um, of Ronan the Accuser. Is that who you're referring to? Yeah, Korath. Yep. Um, and then we have Thanos. <clears throat> we have Thanos. But we also have um, Thanos's like chief advisor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a name for it. Yes, I, I know there's a name, but there's um, like a mafia name for it. Like the dog. No, 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 no. It's more like like the the person who speaks for. Oh, uh, yeah. Sort of like he's not an ambassador. Is the wrong word, but like right major hand. domo or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um. So yeah, like there's that person. And I mean, we find out that you know, um, Thanos has tasked Ronan to. Okay, so Ronan wants to destroy um, the Xandar, which Xandar. is the Nova Corps homeworld. Yeah, and the made Nova, a peace treaty with the Kree. Yeah, and the Nova it's like almost the Nova Corps is almost like I guess you could say Starfleet. Yeah, like in Star Trek. They're they're like space police. Yeah, and in they have the MCU. Yeah, and they have like various races living on the planet. Um, it's like a, a multicultural. Um, like yeah, multi-alien cultural. And you're right, actually. Xandar felt very Starfleet. I reckon you could have put like Captain Kirk there, and it, he wouldn't have felt out of place. Yeah. Um. And so yeah, Ronan. Ronan's father died, um, and he wants to destroy Xandar because of it. Um. And Thanos is. Is saying he will help him destroy Xandar if Thanos if he grabs this item for Thanos and Thanos hasn't told Ronan that it's an Infinity Stone. And I mean, for the for the viewer as well, it's a big, at the time it felt like a big reveal. Yeah, and we don't know it's an Infinity film. Stone until the middle of the film. Now, I think th- our first thing meeting off Thanos is Thanos calls Ronan to visit him. 
Um, and they do, and then... Yeah, Thanos isn't a texter. No, he's not. He's like a hologram bitch get here kind of thing. <laughs> um, yeah, and then we see like Ronan like killing um, Thanos' like chief, chief uh, like talking person. Like, I don't think he's ever actually had a name other than, like, advisor. Like, there's no name for him in the cast. Yeah, Roman straight up murders him in front of Thanos, and I think it was trying... That was the movie's way of trying to be like, hey, Ronan is dangerous. But it's not. Right. It's Ronan is, like, an impetulant child. And, like, I kind of... I think I've talked about this with you. Like, I um, have read a lot of Fantastic Four stuff, um, and this is another thing we've talked about. I'm not sure how Ronan is part of the MCU given that I think his first instance was in a Fantastic Four film which is bought by um, Fox mm. um, but anyway like Ronan has always been a great villain in the comics he's like judge jury and executioner type thing he's very by so the law like a judge dread character maybe yeah like an evil judge dread I got none of that in this film I just got an impetuous child who looks like Ronan the accuser. Mm. I look the co- the only thing I like about Ronan is his costume, which I thought was yeah, pretty good. It, it's exactly like his costume in the comics. Okay, it, down to the um, hammer of the law type thing. Um, yeah, no, yeah, he just came across like even in this, like came across like an impetulant child, and it's just yeah, he screams a lot, he gets angry a lot, yeah, and it doesn't help that his right hand person Nebula is. Very Just similar. Egg, yeah, and egging him on. Also, I don't... I like Nebula. She's sarcastic. I don't like Karen Gillian's performance. I don't think... It's just not... It's very one-dimensional. I don't know if that was a direction she got, but... I think I, it might be that, because she's better in the second film. Yeah. I, yeah. You, I think you raise a valid point. I'm just not a, not a fan of the character again. Yeah. Um... Uh, now Thanos he's in this film yes so this is the first time we meet like Thanos like full on talking and everything and um I mean he even calls Ronan boy well is this a I I could be wrong is this the first time that Josh Brolin's betrayed him yes because in the The previous in Avengers it was just CG yeah it didn't look like anyone no it was just like a part of the face from the side um I want to talk about how... So, Thanos... I mean, we don't find out until um, the Avengers film, but he lost the Tesseract, which is a cosmic... which is a, an Infinity Stone, we found out. Yeah. He gave Loki the Scepter. Which is which, also an Infinity Stone. Which also has an Infinity Stone in it. Um, to So, he gave Loki an Infinity Stone to get an Infinity Stone. Um, <clears throat> and now he's getting uh, Ronan to get an Infinity Stone for him. It's like pretty like shit. Like he's pretty crap. Like like comic comics wise, he never really did the whole like go get the Infinity Stone for me. Which I get it. Like they're doing, they're trying to tease him out for this film. It's filler. Yeah, it's, it's filler. It's well um, done, but it's filler. Yeah. Like, in the comics, he, he'd go and bust a cap yeah. and get the Infinity Stone for himself. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, he, he, it was good to see him, but it didn't make... Like an old friend. It didn't make, a, it didn't make a huge impact. You, it felt very studio-mandated, is how I would describe it. Yeah. 
But sometimes, like, the studio mandate is good. This is one, it, not so much. Is it? I don't know. I feel like with these films, a lot of the time... Now, admittedly, with James Gunn, I think there's studio restrictions... Uh, and that helped in the first yeah. film compared to the second film? For, for sure. But I think in a lot of the films... Uh, a lot of the newer Marvel films, a lot of the time it can feel like that the director's trying to squeeze as much of their personality in despite studio sort of uh, <clears throat> overbearing studio stuff and restrictions. <laughs> um, and I mean, I, and I think with this Thanos scene, it definitely felt like it was a, um, it was a, like, oh, hey, when you write the script, heads up, Thanos needs to be in it, he needs to say this. Okay. It, it felt very studio mandated. Alright. Um, <clears throat> we want to quickly, before we get into Stan Watch, uh, talk about the soundtrack, unless there's anything else you want to bring no, up. No, I later. wanted to talk about more about some of the other stuff. So, yeah. we, we also, um, near the letter, we um, go to nowhere. Is that is that place in the comics? Yes. Because um, locations-wise, I felt it was one of the most interesting locations. In yeah, the film. so, in the, <clears throat> in the film... Um, nowhere is like this abandoned... It's a skull of like a dead god. Yeah. Um, and like there's a civilization living there. Now in the comics, it's the same. It's exactly the same. It's a space station based on the remains of a celestial. Now in the comics, the celestials are these giant... Isn't giant... Um, Galactus a celestial? No. Different. Okay. No. So like, they're these giant, um... I guess gods who are meant to like be the like creators of stuff in the universe, like a sci-fi version of a god. Basically. Yeah, um, and so yeah, the remains of him are essentially for this film a space station as well. Now on that space station, the collector is there as well. Oh, I, not a huge. I you've never fan. been a huge fan of the collector. I I like that they flesh the collector out in this in this film. How? They're just like, oh, he's he's creepy and he collects things, and he's terrible to live A bit more. Well, yeah. He's so crappy to his assistant. That yeah. bugs me. Um, well, I mean, he's got more, and, like, you can see that, like, you see more stuff around that he is, you know, collected, which is kind of cool. There's a lot of Easter eggs in this film. Like, I mean, you yes, saw Cosmo the Space Dog. Yes, and, of course, I think there's, like, a Dark Elf in one of the... Um, yeah, in one of the... Um, Cosmo the Space Dog in the comics. Um, he's basically one of the first... Because back in the day in the space age, they used to send monkeys and dogs out in yes in um, that have been trained to press buttons and whatnot out in um, spaceships to test like flight. Cosmo the space dog in the comics is a dog that you know was one of those a Russian dog that you know when he went into space he got somehow mutated still dog but telepathic and telekinetic. Okay, <laughs> it's very cool in the comics. Yeah, I well, it, look, that's not coming across in description. But okay, so he's a known character. No, like I mean, he's talking. He's got this like Russian accent when he's like oh, that's thinking. Fun. And, yeah, animals with like strong European accents is pretty fun. Yeah, I'll give you that. Um, yeah, and I mean, there we find out that it's an Infinity Stone, and like you know that it takes a group of people to hold the Infinity Stone as opposed yes. to. I, but again, that scene felt like the collector needed to be in this film to info dump. Yeah. Um, both for the Marvel universe and also for the for the scene at the end to make sense when Star Lord's holding the Infinity Stone so it doesn't hit Thanos. I feel like though, all these studio stuff, like studio mandate stuff, was a good thing for this particular film because it helped set this film up and prop them up and introduce all these characters and everything, hey, this is the Guardians of the Galaxy, and then that way they can go do their own thing in the second film. Yeah, which, uh, 
turns out wasn't that great. I we'll discuss it. Yeah. When we watch that show. I just have a hunch that on my second watch, I'm really not going to enjoy Guardians of the Galaxy two. I don't know. We'll see. I'm just going to throw that out there. Yeah. I mean, other than that, we a few other things. Um, I kind of like and don't like that there was like the the Nova Corps. There wasn't a Richard Ryder Nova. Yeah, I, I kind of like that there was and wasn't. Well, because my I could be wrong here, Billy, but my understanding of Nova is a somewhat confusing legacy character where there's been different incarnations. Yeah, so basically the Nova Corps, like in the movie, they're a police force, but they have this sort of um, helmet that they wear, which gives them access to a, like a shared power and knowledge and everything, and they're also they're like they're capable of flight and shooting blasters from their hand type thing. So it's almost like a space cop. Like, it's almost like um, Judge like, Dredd. Yes. But Judge, if Judge Dredd didn't shoot uh, shoot um, guns, he'd shoot, like, blasts of energy from his hand and people fly. So a little bit Green Lantern-y. Yes, exactly. Mm. Um, bit better than the Green Lantern film. Um, yeah, I kind of like that there is and isn't. I, I think it... I think it. We've talked about this before. Is at its best, the Marvel universe simplifies and mm. makes accessible more convoluted and complex ideas from the comics. Yes, I think this is a great example of that. Is that they strip the Nova Corps down and they literally just are space cops. Yeah, which is I think is pretty cool. Um, yeah, I, I look. I I get why you might be disappointed that they've potentially closed the door for like for a Richard Ryder character, but I think yeah. it worked well. And I think it's good that they weren't overreaching too much. No, no, that's true. Um, what did you think of Glenn Close as like the head? Yeah, good. I, I enjoyed that. What a I, yeah, she plays a good sort of stern leader. Yeah. Um, uh, was there anything else? Um, I mean, we'll go into the after credits after. The, after yeah, the of end. course. Um, but yeah, you wanted to talk about the music. Well, yeah. Uh, look, I think at this point. Everyone, you know, everyone sort of knows about the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack. It's good. It's full of a lot of historical bangers. Um, and Bangers that suit the mood. Yeah. Perfectly. And I think, I again, this was such a great way to ground the movie. And, like, the fact that they're going to all these out-there locations, but at the same time, it's like, songs you know mm. are playing, you know. Like, David Bowie or, like, Redbone's Come and Get Your Love immediately makes you feel comfortable and just, yeah, grounds this film. Um, yeah, I think the soundtrack is both the best and worst part of this film. Yeah. Best part, like, in terms of this film, it serves this film really well, but in terms of the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise, it's in this awkward position where it's kind of shackled to the idea of having a 70s soundtrack now. And even in the comic, my mm. understanding is that they broke Condit and... Star-Lord has, like, a Walkman and always likes listening to music. Yeah. It's become, like, a thing, mm. for better or worse. It's well, we've noticed that. It, we've noticed that over the years with comics, like, they're influenced by culture at the time and also the movies that come out. Yeah. Well. Like, characters... <clears throat> well, like, Phil Car- Coulson's in the comics now. Yeah. Um, the Punisher. Um, he's drawn um, to suit um, the actor who plays the Punisher. Yeah, John Berthnolly. A little bit. I mean, his latest incarnation, he doesn't look super John Berthnolly, but more so than his previous. Um, you, may, you may have not seen the latest series. The one that Matt Rosenberg's writing? Is it the one where he's wearing the warm shirt? Yeah. Is it? He looks like Oh, him. okay. Yeah. My, my mistake. Um, one thing, I there were a couple of Easter eggs I wanted to touch on. 
yeah, if you yeah. didn't mind. Um, uh, we there's something that was kind of cool, like the when um, the twelve percent joke, where oh yes, rocket 12... goes twelve percent of a plan. Yes, and then you know that's carrying on from Avengers. You've got we were having twelve percent of a moment. Oh, I didn't even pick that up. Yeah, that was kind of cool. That um, that scene is such a highlight for me. Yeah, that, uh, that sort of like uh, almost sitcom style banter in like yeah. a superhero flick. Um, so I want to talk about the the, the like the henchmen. Um, in the film, they're called Sakarians, like the the underling, like the cannon fodder. Oh no oh, way! Of course, yeah. the car. Yeah. This so yeah, in um, th- so there's two races in um Sakar. There's the the um there's the red skinned ones in the okay. comics. The red skin and grey skins, and that's in the Planet Hulk storyline, um, of the comics. Now these are the grey skinned ones that are the um sort of I guess warriors that work for that um um the Kree. Yeah. No, they work for um Ren and the Accuser. Um, now, Did you say ori- Brandon the Accuser? Sorry. A completely different character. Um, now, originally, what would happen, it was meant to be the Badoon, who were the, like, um, warriors that worked for Ronan. Now, the Badoon are like a, a space lizard race, but they're owned by 20th Century Fox. But also, I feel like, you know, I feel like maybe space lizards might <clears throat> be a bit much. Oh, really? I think so. I don't think so. Space lizard men, come on. Alright, look, we'll agree to disagree on the highly controversial topic of space lizard. Yes. Um, but yeah, um, alright, let's, t- I guess we'll, um, okay, jump-, jump into Stanwatch? Yeah, let's jump into Stanwatch. So what did you think of Stanwatch? I, okay, my opinion of it, 100% depends on whether I can, whether he said much in it or not. Like, yeah, because your opinion is Stan's should, should be seen but not heard. Should be seen but not heard. Um... Rocket, so he's on Xandar when Rocket is scouting for uh, targets to bounty hunt. He and notices it's Stan Lee. he notices Stanley with some like glamorous lady. And he shit talks him. Yeah, he shit talks him for being like a gold, like... Like a gold, like... A digger. No, not gold digger. What's the opposite? What, what's when you gold dug? Gold a gold dug. diggy? He's almost like, um... Like a Hugh Hefner. Thing. Yeah, again, this is like the second time he's been Hugh Hefner. Well, I, look, he's I the Hugh Hefner of space. I th- as I've said, Hugh Hefnos. As I've said before, I think a big, um, a big, a lot of the humor in the Stanley cameos comes from the fact that all older white men pretty much look the same. I like this one because it's like he's not sitting in his yeah. corner. I because here's the thing that bit would have worked with any old man. Yeah, true. Whereas a lot, I think at his worst, it's funny because Stanley saying the cam like saying this line. That's why it's funny. Mm. Uh, whereas. Here it just would have been funny or would have worked regardless of the old man. They just happened to use Stanley. Alright, so now we're going to be talking about the stingers in the film. So, what did you think of the first one? Dancing Baby Groot. I mean... It doesn't hold up. Okay. I think it's... I think it's just... I remember, like, people went crazy about how cute this little twig was at the time. And yeah. now I'm just like, cool, we get it. He comes back. Uh, well, I think everyone who's read the comics knows that. I mean, he's like a... That's part of his thing, right? Yeah. He can he, regrow... As he long as you have a chunk of him and plant yeah, him. Yeah, as long as he's got a chunk of him and plant him, he can regrow himself. I liked it. I thought it was still cute. It's like one of those ones you watch... Like, back in the day when you watch, like, uh, movies and they'll have the bloopers on the side as the credits are rolling up. Yeah. It just reminded me of that and I thought that was kind of cool. It's goofy. It's unapologetically goofy. So, then we have... Because, obviously, the, um, the collector's... Um, 
His crib gets blown up. He crib, yeah, his crib gets blown up. So it's just him sitting there, bandaged up, drinking a um, cocktail. As you would say, sort of like space liquor. Yes, and then Cosmo the Space Dog comes over and licks his face. And then you hear, ugh, you let him lick your face, it's disgusting. It's uttered by Howard the Duck. And, I, as I've mentioned in the Black Panther episode, Howard the Duck appeared in a Marvel Cinematic Universe film if, before we got a lead of colour or a female lead. So, um, we know where their uh, representation priorities are. With I think it was, uh, yeah, look, I think um, that was just like, apparently it was, that was only meant to be like a last minute thing. I think it was a goofy... James also, Gunn. It sounded like James Gunn really wanted it. That was yeah, I think it was like a throw to the creator and also to the the whole space um, side. Like, there's a lot of the writers that have written the space stuff that haven't gotten as much recognition over the years as... No. Yeah. Well, because it's not as big, but I, I kind of get the impression, and again, I could be wrong, but the people who like the Marvel Cosmic stuff really dig... You know, I really dig it. Yeah. I mean, I dig it a lot. I've been tempted to read... Go back and read... Reading Golden Age series comics, though... Be rough. Especially if it's black and white. It's... Because, okay, so Marvel have done this thing back in the day, and I think DC does it as well. They're like essentials. Yes. And they're big, thick... Like, they're almost really big, and they have, like, about, what, 50 comics in one trade. But the thing is, you'd think it'd be heavy, but it's really soft. Because it's, like, really thin paper. Mm. Um... And more, I assume more narration boxes than you can poke a stick at. Yeah, and it's black and white, and it's... I don't know, whenever I used to read them, because someone used to buy me, like, the essential Spider-Man stuff. Because, like, hey, you love Spider-Man. Yeah, oh, I've gotten plenty of those gifts. But, like, a lot of those, that like, I need the colour, because if I'm reading some of this stuff, because it's so much juxtaposition, it makes yeah. you, like, fall asleep. I, and I think part of it is that when comics first came out, I mean, like, they were throwaway. People didn't understand what they, in the West, hadn't understand what they'd stumbled upon and the power of words hey, and pictures. Comics also used to have thought bubbles. Yeah, exactly. But my, my point is that I've noticed a lot of that yeah. older stuff. They're hard to read because there's so many words. They don't let the art speak for itself. Exactly. So, yeah, well, um, what do you want to recommend? Uh, oh, yeah, because now we're up to, if you like this, read this. Which is where we recommend you comics you might like, if yeah. you like the film. Marvel ones or non-Marvel ones. So, I'll go first. Yeah, I see you with your ex. Given that this is based on the Guardians of the Galaxy, like, the 2018... Yes. Well, I mean, the team that was created in the 2008 miniseries. I'd recommend that series, and I'd also recommend... It's a bit of a slog, but you can read it if you've got the if you've got the Marvel app. Um, what is it Marvel U or Marvel Now? Marvel Unlimited. Marvel Unlimited. Yeah, MU. Marvel Unlimited. I think you pay like ten. Not, to, not to be confused with FU. Yeah. The, uh, the the popular the popular curse. Yes. Uh, Marvel Unlimited. I think you pay like five bucks a month and you get yeah. access to all the backlog of Marvel. And there's a lot. Yeah, and there's a lot, and you can read it. It's really good if you want to read all this stuff because you can read in a series and you have and if you have patience for connectivity issues yes that's it, uh, it is not designed for Australian audiences and god the loading times are ridiculous yeah um so yeah so the Guardians of the Galaxy series and the Annihilation and Annihilation Conquest now, series now was the Annihilation the series also written by Abnett and drawn yes, by Lanning yes oh great well, written by Abnett and Lanning They're oh Lanning my, my apologies yeah. yeah very cool hmm so my Marvel pick is a miniseries, I believe it was from 2016, or maybe 2017, sorry. It was um, Star-Lord Grounded, written by Chip Zdarsky, with art by uh, everyone's favourite male cheesecake artist, 
Chris Anchor, and it's a Star Lord trapped on Earth. Yeah, and it's got that uh, it's classic the the humor, which is what he's known for. You know, injecting everything he writes with a bit of humor, mm-hmm. um, and also a lot of ab shots of Star Lord. Yes, for people who want to do some pervin. Um, What's I, your own Marvel pick? Yeah, um, a well, I've got another Marvel pick. Yeah, go. Yeah. Um, it's the Scotty Young series that I mentioned, which is Rocket oh, Raccoon. Of course. Um, that's a series that ran from 2014 to 2015. So okay. it's a couple. You can buy it all, I think, in one trade. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd highly recommend it. It's cool. Maybe even give it to kids. Buy it for your kids if you want to get them to read it. Yeah, it seemed like a, a sort of all age thing that adults yeah. can enjoy as well. Yes. Um, so. Yeah, um, what's your Marvel or non-Marvel pick? So my non-Marvel pick is Copperhead by Jay Ferber, uh, Scott Goldolsky, and Ron Riley on the colours. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like a space western, it's got a huge firefly feel, and I think if you liked uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, I think you sort of like that this is very character-driven sci-fi. Uh, it's fun, and yeah, and it's a little bit... Uh, uh, so it follows a cop in a small sort of town. I think it sort of has a sort of rough and ready, down and dirty feel that Guardians of the Galaxy does. As a, uh, like Guardians of the Galaxy, it's a whole lot of fun. Okay. Um, my non-Marvel pick is a series from Image called Invincible. Now, Invincible... Yeah, Robert Kirkman and yeah, why not? Like, yeah, um, um, that actually has just finished its run as well. Yes. It um, so it's basically, um, he's... He finds out he's the son of the um, one of the greatest heroes, like the Superman of that universe. Yeah, of that universe. Um, and then he finds out, shock horror, his dad is actually an evil alien. Yeah, that his dad was playing the Superman character to infiltrate Earth and always planned on taking it over. Yeah, and it's like it solely goes from there. Um, it's really good. And when does... Because I know I it deals like, with a lot of space and cosmic stuff yeah, and Alan the Alien. Yeah, I feel like you need to read it, though, in chunks and yeah. take a while I think I binge read the first 40 had a break and then sort of did like 20 issues at a time yeah that's it, a great way to do it because a lot of the times they do it because um, that also was starting before and during the period where people were starting starting to write comics for trades so like a six part series or a six part arc yes and I know a lot of the early books a lot of the early volumes of Invincible are all named after like sitcoms yeah I think they got rid of that naming that naming scheme later on and mm. it became harder to keep up but initially it felt very sort of trade like it was re- built for trades I think that's what it was it was meant to be sort of like initially I felt it did but it felt like a sitcom totally yeah. well that's how it was pitched I thought and yeah. initially the first couple of issues are pretty in terms of superhero stuff there's not that much and it focuses on family drama more. Hmm. Alright, well that's been our If You Like This, Read This. Yeah. Um, where can they reach us? Yeah, so uh, geekofoz.com or oh. on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash geekofoz. Uh, we're also on Wushaka. Um, and t- iTunes, of course. Yes, uh, all you have to do is search for To Infinity War and Beyond. And you y- can reach me on um, Twitter, Aqualink, or Christoph. At Weekly Geek or at Geek of Oz. Yes. Um, and if you could leave us, write us a review on iTunes, uh, it helps people find the show and, and lets us know what you think of us. So we'd really appreciate it if you could. All right, everyone, um, that's been us. Um, we'll see you next episode. Yeah, see you next time.